getting my the practice area of my dreams to not cause balloons to fall from the sky. And it turned out I had more introspection to do. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. I'm Chris Osborne, and with me is Michael Kahn, my co-host and uh, partner in crime in real-time creative learning experiences. We are excited to be kind of relaunching the podcast, and we may call it season two, actually. Uh, we had a little hiatus there in the fall just due to schedules and personnel issues and things like that. And we're excited to kind of come back as a fresh start to 2021, if ever a year has been anticipated and longed for. And we've all been, uh, boy, I, I think New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are going to be some amazing celebrations. We're recording before the year changes, but this will drop sometime in the new year. Uh, so welcome. We're glad you're back. And our guest today, I'm super excited about Alexis Robertson, who is the Diversity and Inclusion Director, correct me if I get that wrong, for, oh, I'll let her introduce uh, her law firm and uh, tell us a little bit about Alexis, about kind of what you do now at Foley and Lardner uh, and where you're based out of. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Chris and Michael. So as you mentioned, I'm Alexis Robertson and you got the job title right. I usually switch it. So I'm Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley and Lardner, which is a international law firm, full service law firm with over a thousand lawyers. And so my day job is generally out of the Chicago office, at least up until the world change and the pandemic. So um, I'm talking to you now, of course, from my home, which is in the suburbs of Chicago. But um, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. And Michael, you're there as well, coming in from Vancouver. How, how are things in Vancouver weather-wise today? Hi, everyone. Well, you know what? It's winter in Vancouver, so that means it's rainy and dreary. It's not all the time that way in the winter. I don't want to, I don't want to be too down on Vancouver, but generally that's the case. So it's, it's uh, sun is just about coming up. If any listeners out there have a cabana in like a tropical island or something, <laughs> or a, uh, a guest house in the south or somewhere, Michael is open. That's right. Uh, finding somewhere else. Uh, we actually had a guest on our on, on the program we did yesterday who uh, practices law in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she decided since she didn't have to be anywhere. She didn't have to be in Minneapolis, and so she relocated to Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. was practicing law remotely, like in a serious sense. I thought that was I'm nodding my head as you say that. I think a lot of people are doing that. I think uh, location in terms of where you are when you practice, uh, I think that's coming into question. Yes, <laughs> yeah. If I don't have Exactly. Certain I've, licenses, maybe. I don't know. But... I've, uh, I've, I've already, Chris, I've already emailed Emily about how oh, she made that happen. Yeah, right after the <laughs> workshop, I emailed her. <laughs> Excellent. Tell us a little bit, Alexis, about kind of your journey. Uh, I know, I believe you went to Michigan for law school, but tell us about kind of what drew you into law to start with. And then what's your career journey kind of been like as far as the sort of uh, twists and turns in the road such that you find yourself now uh, leading the diversity and, and inclusion initiatives for a, a major national law firm? It's so funny. In some ways, I'm that classic recovering lawyer. Um, but yes. I was somebody, and it, I actually, I need to sit and really reflect on when that seed was planted to be an attorney. I, I'm sure it's something to do with my mother who raised me as a little litigator. But for whatever reason, um, ever since I was a pretty young, young child, I, I knew I was going to law school. That's what I did. There wasn't any question around it. I went straight through. Um, the University of Michigan actually used to start a section of their, their class in summer. 
So I literally had two weeks off between undergrad and law school. There was no soul searching. I was somebody who was a freshman in college could tell you when I was going to take the LSAT. Um, oh, wow. So, so I, I did that. I'm, I'm relatively young for my, my grade, if that makes sense. So I graduated from law school at 21. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. from law school, law school sorry, at 21? No, law school at 24, 23, no, 23, 23 okay. sorry, okay. it's college, I'll be 21, but I just college remember, I remember turning, oh man, I'd have to do the math, I was, I remember turning, you know what, apologies everyone as I talk too fast, but I think it was, I graduated 24, I turned 25 my first year at Kirkland and Ellis, so my first couple of months, I remember my assistant bringing me a cake and another associate who's a few years ahead of me looking at me and being like, how old are you anyway? And I was like, 25. And he was like, what? You're allowed to be a licensed attorney at 24? What is going on? But, um, I, and I share all that just to show how I was very much that person who's like, okay, you pick a professional path, you do it, you get your degree, you, you dot, 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 you know, practice whatever the next 40 years, walk off into the sunset, you retire, then you die. Like that was the right. plan. Right. It never occurred to me that there's actually a lot of life left after one finishes right. you know, graduate school. Um, and so I practiced for seven and a half years, the bulk of that as a litigation associate at Kirkland and Ellis. So six years at Kirkland, the remaining time I, I switched then I lateral to Cypress Shaw where I was a labor and employment lawyer. And then I realized, I, you know, I thought I got what I wanted. I thought I really wanted to do employment. And I was like, oh, I'm not completely fulfilled. You know, getting my, the practice area of my dreams to not cause, you know, balloons to fall from the sky or birds to start, start singing. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned out I had more introspection to do. <laughs> and so that for me was about, it was over five years ago that I left practice. Um, and maybe we'll dive into that a little bit more. But in that time, the first two years, I was a legal recruiter. I helped lawyers okay. find jobs and outside recruiters. So I placed lawyers with law firms and corporations. And then I had the opportunity to move into diversity and inclusion work, where I joined Baker McKenzie as North America Manager of Diversity and Inclusion. And so for the past okay. three and a half years, I've been a dedicated DNI professional. And I just finished my first year with Foley. So that and is all, in, a, in a roundabout nutshell. <laughs> no, that's that's great. And was all of that, all, all your practice time, was all that in Chicago? Yes, yes. I've been okay. in Chicago for that entire time. I'm curious about the the first, the labor and employ, employment part. Uh, I've practiced a little bit of labor and employment in my time. I've been, uh, had cases on both the defense and plaintiff side. Uh, what about that did you find rewarding? And what about that was maybe uh, you know, disappointing or, or, you know, say more about the kind of the balloons didn't fall. Yeah. It wasn't everything well, you thought it would be. It's funny. Even in law school, I thought labor and employment was what I wanted to do. Um, and I did some of it while I was at, at Kirkland, but we, you know, can't forget the world really changed. So I graduated from law school in December 07. I oh, was that last oh. class that, right, that was recruited before the Great Recession. Right. And, you know, fortunately, Kirkland was a really great place to weather that storm, but it did change and it's funny in retrospect, you know, see what a giant firm they are now, but they had a little bit of employment work and they had even less of it after the recession because, you know, given how employment is so fee sensitive, all those things. Um, so part of the reason, and actually a driving reason why I left was so that I could exclusively do labor and employment work because um, I thought I could, you know, you know, get that whole general lit training, but do some of it. And that's essentially what I did. But it, I, I stress this point, though, because I really wanted to be closer to people. Right. I mm -hmm. thought with employment, at the end of the day, at least I know what's going on. Right. Something happened with a person. Um, these are interpersonal conflicts. So 
I think intuitively I knew that was where I, I thrive. And so professionally, I was trying to get in alignment with that, but it turns out I didn't need the litigation part. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I did in many ways, I got what I wanted. I got, I did a lot of actually um, class action and collective action work, um, but okay. I also did a couple of single plaintiffs th things, but it, it turned out that 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 still didn't get me there because ultimately I'm not that interested in litigation, which is so weird for me to even say because I, 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 know, I feel you. I actually yeah. feel you on that because I've made that shift in the last really uh, uh well four or five years since I since I I left practice. Um, I was a litigator for about uh, what was it uh, seventeen years. I left and taught law school for about three years, and being out of litigation um really you know was mind blowing was was kind of when when i realized oh there's other things there's other ways to do things i'm not sure litigation is where i want to be yes um, well, and the thing about the employment side is at a certain point you can also switch to be more of a counselor um yes. and i think and you, but you need a certain level of experience and skill to counsel clients on those things sure. so i think i had pointed to that side of the practice as like if i can just just get there but it's funny because I've I've told this story a number of times, but I've actually I've never really said it in that way. And there also are things about litigation that do really correspond with my personality that I did find really engaging. There is a thrill when the other side's brief comes and you get to see, you know, if you fully anticipated everything that they were going to raise. And and that, you know, that that would get, get certain parts of my personality going. Um, but but ultimately I did not have the interest, curiosity, or passion about litigation or being a practicing lawyer that I think you truly need to thrive in the profession. I think like full stop, that was my issue. And would you say you were fully aware of that at the time that you're making that change or you're kind of like, I don't know, but I got to get out of this? Oh my goodness. Uh, on the deepest levels, I'm aware, but whether or not I was willing to acknowledge those things, <laughs> right. totally, totally different question. Uh, so I was fortunate that um, Kirkland has a really robust alumni program and okay. I got connected to one of their career counselors. And I've told this story a number of times, but I remember thinking like, what is this? Like a 27 year old with like a resume book who's going to revise my resume. But it turned out he was much more of a, a life coach and um he is probably the first person who looked at me and was like, Alexis, you're not happy. You don't like what you do. You will make the best out of any situation you're put in. So you are going to smile and look at the bright side, but you don't like what you're doing. What is your plan? And I remember just thinking like, and this was the first time we met in person because we've been on the phone a number of times thinking, "Why? I wanted your like pamphlet on your six handy tips to go in house. I, I'm not, I'm not here for you to like gaze into my soul and, you know, and tell me that I am, I'm deeply, and I, I, I literally, I did not know what to do with myself because I was not prepared um, yeah. to, to, to acknowledge that. And honestly, in making the transition, I don't know that I fully did. I, I think there is a lot of, there's like fear and vulnerability because if you truly yeah. acknowledge you're unhappy with the situation, but you're still in it. Right. Now, what does that make it even harder to go to work each day now that you know right. this isn't. And so, so, so deep down, yes, you know, I think on a very visceral level, I think like on a physical level, I, I knew, but it really yeah. did take somebody else just like, just diving in. <laughs> well, there, there, there's a, there's a pride aspect to it as well. 
um, to, you know, to admit, hey, this is not a fit. Um, you know, there there may be some people out there who interpret it as, oh, couldn't hack it, eh? You know, well, there's which that, is there's not, not, not it at all. Yeah. You know, well, and I'm a decade into it at that point, right? Because between yeah. law school and practicing, that's, that's a decade. Um, and, it, and it's funny, though, I did not have the identity issues that I think a lot of lawyers have. So that's not to say that okay. I don't identify. I still do. I'm a, I'm a licensed attorney. If you want to know anything about me, you're probably going to learn that that's a part of who I am. Sure. But for me, it didn't run as deep because I think if it ran even deeper, I probably wouldn't have done anything about it. For whatever reason, I was sure. able to make that leap. And it was, I mean, in retrospect, it's like, of course, this is what you were meant to do. And of course, you should have taken the path you chose. But at that time, for me to leave legal practice, become a legal recruiter, and recruiters, for those who don't know, are essentially compensated the same way as real estate agents are compensated, meaning oh, you have to be, yeah, you have to be placing people to make money. And to go from from making you know a large law firm salary for the past almost eight years to, you know, not, not make it very much getting your draw. And fortunately what I went to had a very, um, it was like recruiting with training wheels on. There were a bunch of things that were happening that made me not have to okay. sort of, um, deal with some of the things that could have happened, but still super, you know, super scary at the time. I remember having that sobering talk with my husband of like, all right, if I do this, here's what our finances look like. Like, so can the kids stay in daycare? Like, can we keep our house? Like, do you really, and then having to look at him and say, do you really support me in this? Like, will the, will mm -hmm. there will, will there be resentment here if I I do this? And so I can look back and glaze over it because everything was fine and I was a great recruiter and I enjoyed it. Um, and everything that been sent has happened since is much more in alignment with who I am. But sure. yeah, at the time, it's a little frightening. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's the other thing that nobody tells you. I think in law school uh, is that you know the job you get coming out of school may or may not be where you end your career. And for actually most people, it's not. And there may be way stations along the way, because I ended up having a few. And Michael, uh, your story is similar in that, uh, you know, you, you realized, right, that there was a misalignment with practice. Maybe speak to that for just a second, just for Alexis a little bit. Yeah, I, I realized uh, probably about two or three years into my job at, at the attorney general's office that it wasn't a good fit for me. And uh, the problem was I didn't know where that was what was scary. Okay, what's next? Where do I go? Um, and same as uh, for you, Alexis, I actually went to a coach who uh, um, was also a former lawyer. He's getting his PhD in counseling, um, Larry Richard, uh, who is uh, pretty well known uh, and, and a wonderful guy. And I still... Uh, have a relationship with him, but he was the one who really helped. I think same for you, validated for me that my skill set was more in the counseling field mm -hmm. or something in that um, arena. And uh, and then for me also, it wasn't it wasn't hard to leave ultimately because I was so unhappy practicing law. I love the people I worked with. That's what kept me there, and the and the and the, the issues where I worked with were were fascinating. But ultimately. Um, I was pretty unhappy, so I uh, ended up leaving and worked at Tulane Law School for for a year in their uh, career counseling office, and that was that was a good transition job for me. But but it was it was it was ultimately the best decision I made for myself. Well, you know what's funny about that though is 
even though I know ultimately, and and there was this level, a certain level of discontent. It's funny, it's going to sound like I'm walking it back, but I think it's important to t- explore this nuance because if if it was misery, if 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 practice for me had been misery, I would not have done it as long as I did, right? Right. Right. I, I I value myself, and not to say those who who subject themselves to misery don't value themselves, but just and, and well, we may explore this. I'm wired in such a way where I will preserve myself in the face of abject misery, right? Yeah. I, I definitely would. And there were certain parts of it that that I really did like, but I think that even makes it harder because you can bargain with yourself more, right? You can be like, well, but mm-hmm. this one little part is is fine, right. and. And the other thing is, I think it's very hard. And so, so for me, being being so young, you know, I'd never, I'd barely even had part time jobs before. I hardly kind of explored what was out there professionally. But one thing that I've learned because I continue to work in large law firms and with lawyers is there are so many lawyers who actually really do like being lawyers, who yeah. are truly passionate about what they do. And if you don't share at least some modicum of that passion, you can't compete with them. Like you will, you will never be reading that thing you could read to know the latest about your practice area just because you think it's fun, right? As the person who's really into it. And that's what, that's what really gets me. And it's why what I currently do, because it's so people focused, like I'm focused on people anyway. Like I'm reading the book about the thing that'll make me better at my job. Yes. Yes. And so, and, and so it's so, it's just so, so nuanced because I think there are a lot of people. And so I've launched this podcast for my firm where each episode is me in conversation with another lawyer from my firm. And so many of them, and really my, like my CEO comes to mind, incredibly passionate about the law. And so it's this, it's this like acknowledging that if you have the privilege to make a professional change, it's okay to want to have interest and passion in your career. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I, I like, I like that you underscored the nuance of that because that was, that would be similar to me. Michael's journey was, you know, I can't, I'm not a fit with law at all. I've got to get out, uh, you know, miserable. Mine has been a, a, you know, just a path to a different uh, mix of things um, because I enjoyed being a lawyer as well. I enjoyed uh, litigation. I was not just miserable at it. Uh, and miserable doing what I was doing. And I had good people I worked with. I was with a law firm. Uh, I bounced around a little bit. I worked with a firm, clerked for a judge, worked for a very small firm. And then I was with a firm for 11 years, which is where I became a partner. And I was enjoying it. And and the work was meaningful. And it wasn't like it was a bad fit. But what happened for me is I discovered there was something that had more passion Mm -hmm. uh, for me. Uh, like marketing myself as a lawyer, I'm like, I mean, I'm a good lawyer, but I mean, so are these other people, you know, um, and 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 I, I wasn't, you know, very zealous about that. But when we started doing our educational programs and landing on something that was a little bit different, a little bit unique, uh, and people were responding and going, hey, that was, man, I usually expect CLE to suck. And that was actually fun. I found something, a deeper passion. Yeah. I'm like, I'm more jazzed by that than I am by, uh, you know, my last, you know, summary judgment victory or argument or whatever. And uh, so we, we were actually at a conference that we, one of the first conferences we went to trying to see if we could take our, our presentations on the road. And this one guy, uh, Sean Carter, a good friend of ours and a longtime presenter, he said, okay, you're, so you're doing the speaking thing. Let me ask you this. Do you want to speak more so that you get more legal work or do you want to speak more so you get more speaking gigs? And wow. he nailed me. He busted me. I'm like, well, if I am honest, I I resonate with the speaking stuff more. 
uh, and I want to do more of that. And about that time, uh, I had worked with a business coach, actually put another plug in for coaches. Uh, my firm was kind enough to hire me a, a business coach who took me through some, you know, different exercises. And he said, this education thing that you're doing kind of on the side, you seem to come alive there. And, and, and it wasn't that I couldn't do law and it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was just there was something that was deeper and and I was more motivated. Like I would talk to people about educational stuff just for fun. And, I, and that's what I wanted to read about. And so I think you're hitting on something that, that maybe we don't emphasize enough in law school is, hey, what are you what's your passion? And if you have this passion for the law and the passion for a certain area of the law, that's great. Go with that. That's a great that'll that'll give you a great edge. You'll go and do whatever you need to to get it done. Um, but but sometimes it's just easy to just follow the lemmings and sort of do what it looks like you're supposed to do. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So at Foley, we have this, we have an in-house uh, executive coach, Anjali Desai, and she, so she's also, you know, a former lawyer. And she was like, oh, I don't like to describe myself as a recovering lawyer because it just feels like, so, but she basically described for her, she's like, practice was great. I liked practice. I was just being pulled by something else. And yeah. so I, I just love that um, description of just being pulled more by some by something different um and just yeah yeah i think about that a fair amount actually because for whatever reason i think about professional alignment and passion and curiosity far more than maybe the average person does <laughs> right right uh, that's where I, I realized i was uh so when i got to uh I, you know i pursued the educational thing on the side michael and i kind of doubled down and started you know getting into it more and then that ended up turning into an opportunity to go and teach law school for three years and i'm like I'm a geek for pedagogy. Who knew that? <laughs> you know, um, I had never thought of that, uh, but I wanted to think about learning techniques and think about what gets people engaged. And I got more excitement out of that than I ever got somehow out of, you know, finding the great, you know, appellate case that's going to support my case. I, I love that, but I loved this more. Um, and so it was kind of actually I had sort of another train wreck and this might be another good transition uh to get back to some of your story but uh i got to teach as a law professor for three years but the law school i was at made some kind of bad decisions in terms of their bigger picture and i got out before everything kind of imploded thankfully uh so i found myself practicing again and i that was hard for me because i was like well i thought i found what i was gonna do what i was made to do and this is gonna be it uh but if when it came down to it uh, if I wanted to keep being a law professor, I would have had to look at moving somewhere else, uprooting my family. And I, I didn't want to do it enough to do that. Uh, and so sometimes we're constrained sort of by life circumstances and kind of needs and things like that, which is how I find myself still wearing two hats. But Alexis, talk about, so you, you did the two years of recruiting and how did the first, you know, did you know already that you'd be passionate about DNI, or how did you discover that that was something that really uh, grabbed you and would, would, would be that spark that motivates you. Know, it's it's funny. I have to be and I have to be careful how I explain this because this could be taken out of <laughs> out of context. But sure. I'm passionate about people, and I'm passionate about human connection, and to me, that's all DNI is about. Yeah. So in some ways, to say, and this is going to sound so weird, but based on the life that I lead as or lead led, you know, as a black woman in large law firm, diversity and inclusion is something that you are dealing with in one form or another, right? You just, right. you just are because you are um, an other in a generally homogenous environment. But also how, because of where I'm from and how I grew up and just interactions I've had in life, interacting with lots of different types of people is 
in some ways a superpower of mine. That's not to say that I don't have a lot to learn about a number of communities, but sure, I grew sure. up as you know, the oftentimes the only black girl in the all white class. Um, oh, wow. One of few black people in an entire school. And so in some ways, diversity and inclusion taps into something that I've been learning about, you know, for, for my entire life um, in one way or another. It's your lived experience, yeah. So it has a lived experience aspect, but it's funny because I feel that this almost gets into, and it's so weird, I'm getting a little pedantic about this, but I think if you ask most minorities or anybody who's had that experience of being othered to say like, oh, are you passionate about diversity? They're like, well, yeah, because it's just a part of who I am. It's much like asking a human, like, like, do you enjoy breathing? Like, how'd you get yeah. your skill with breathing? And you're like, oh, I just needed to, to, to survive beyond that. So for, so for me, I really, really liked recruiting. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, hey, no, I have no plans to leave my current profession, but I could see myself ending up doing something with recruiting again one day because I love the human connection part. I love the, sure. when someone's searching for a job, they're in a very vulnerable part in their life. I think short of moving, you know, divorce, um, death and a handful of other things, job searching is actually a very difficult and can be a very scary thing. So to help someone navigate that very much resonates with me. Um, yeah. But I had Baker McKenzie reach out because in 2017, I presented at a NALP conference on recruiting and retaining millennial attorneys of color. And oh. they were like, hey, someone there reaches out, hey, we have this job, would you be interested? And my first thought was like, nope, because I like what I do. Why would I want to go back to a law firm? You know, I'm kind of my own boss now. <laughs> but I, I knew that I should go learn more about it. And Baker McKenzie is such just an awesome firm and their commitment to DNI was so clear. And wow. they brought they brought in my now former boss, Anna Brown, who's now their global director of DNI. And I was like, wow, they're serious about this. Because okay. I had considered diversity roles before. But I knew that it needed to be an organization that was truly committed. Side note, my mother has occupied the diversity and inclusion EEO space for a very long time. So I saw okay. her growing up when she was working in organizations where she was working very much uphill. But okay. it seemed like the stars aligned and that, you know, at some point I'd thought, you know, if I ever did one of those DNI jobs, what would it require? And it happened to be that the Baker McKenzie position checked all of those boxes. So I thought to myself, you know, you could always go back to recruiting if you needed to. Um, and so I, and I also had someone so great to learn from because even though I had this sort of lived experience, I had the recruiting side of it. I had the practicing, um, you know, minority attorney side of it. I didn't have the day-to-day, -day, you know, so what are what are the things you're really focused on in these large organizations? And right. so, so I had someone I could learn from. Um, and But in some ways, a lot of my story is these opportunities have shown up for me, yeah. uh, which is funny because people often reach out to me for advice on making their own transition in a very intentional manner. And I, you know, I think I have insights to add, but when it's come to some of my pivots and opportunities, it's almost been more like I've gotten a, a shove um, mm -hmm. versus right. me. That, that, is, that is how it happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the universe yeah. just comes in. But yeah, so that's how that that came about. And here I am three and a half years later, I, I would not change it. Almost a similar story with a lot of strange things, unique things lining up for me to join Foley and Lardner as well. Sure. But I, I'm somebody who I've just had these opportunities presented to me. And, and at each at each inflection point, they've really corresponded with my interests and my experience. Um, for that opportunity to make sense. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.